0: what's popping y'all my name is phyllis mckenzie and welcome to carolife podcast if you love the expression of creativity in visual performing literary and culinary arts then this is the podcast for you so subscribe and follow our social media pages through the link in the description and be part of the family now let's dive in into today's episode Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new week on Care Life Podcast. This is a weekend special where we talk about the climate crisis and how it's affecting the community and the planet itself. So this week's guest is Tom Bowman, and he is an advisor, speaker, and change maker who believes that the solutions to even the world's toughest problems are within our own grasps. The author to the book, What if solving the climate crisis is simple, is principle of Bowman Change Incorporated, and works with people and organizations who deeply care about their communities and the world? Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yay! So today we are talking about global warming as a factor Mm -hmm. in the climate crisis. So, Tom, how about you walk us through this?
1: What is global warming? Oh, that's such a good question to start with. Um, You know, people live on Earth, but we don't live on places like Mars or the moon because they're too cold and too hot. And that's because they don't have a nice thick atmosphere that traps heat and makes them comfortable. So the reason Earth is such a good place to live is that the atmosphere acts sort of like a blanket. The sunlight comes in and warms the Earth. And then there's water vapor and carbon dioxide and other gases in the atmosphere that trap some of that heat so it doesn't just go out into space. And <clears throat> that has been very stable for thousands of years. Um, ever since human beings first settled down and started growing crops and forming towns and cities, uh, the, the climate has been very, very stable. But since about 1750, people started burning a lot of coal and oil, and natural gas, the so-called fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And when we burn them, a whole lot of extra carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere. And since that time, the amount of carbon dioxide has has increased more than 30%, maybe 40%. It's a huge amount more carbon dioxide. And that's like putting on an extra blanket or making your blanket thicker. So less heat escapes to space, more of it gets trapped here, and so the climate system warms up.
0: And what is the difference between global warming and climate change?
1: So global warming is what I just described. It's trapping extra heat in the climate system, in the atmosphere, in the ocean, and in the land. And all of that extra heat is energy, and that makes the whole system more energetic. Climate change is a bigger term that describes all that changes because of that. So the oceans get warmer and the circulations patterns change and sea level rises. And because there's so much more energy in the atmosphere, we get storms that are more intense. Instead of gentle rains, we get more downpours that are, that cause flooding. Um, we have longer droughts and deeper droughts. We have heat waves that last longer and are hotter. So all of those big changes in our, in our environment are what we mean by climate change. And it's all really caused by global warming.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of change, people might be wondering what actually causes global warming. So are we as humans part of this contribution?
1: We are, in fact, the, the whole contribution that matters. Um, mm-hmm. The climate system is variable. You know, if there's a big volcano in the world, it puts a lot of chemicals, uh, particles in the atmosphere. They're called sulfites, sulfates. And they go high in the atmosphere and they stay there for a couple of years and they reflect sunlight. So they kind of cool the whole climate system a little bit for a while. But then they come out, they fall to Earth and fall in the ocean and the climate system goes back to normal. Um, the sun sometimes puts out more energy and less energy. So there's little changes. But... Not a sustained, steady climbing, you know, the most of the years in the last 10 have been the hottest years ever recorded on the planet. So, um, uh, so even though the climate system is variable a little bit, what, what people have done is pushed it way outside that natural variability and, and it's all coming from, from us and some of it's because we clear too much land and so, Um, We don't trap as much water in the land and, and, um, you know, forests sort of keep areas cool. Open land tends to be hotter, things like that. But the main cause is burning oil and coal and natural gas.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm led to understand that there is a different thing that causes global warming, the greenhouse gases, for example, the carbon dioxide and the chlorofluorocarbons. How mm-hmm. do these greenhouse gases cause global warming?
1: So, so scientists have known about this for a couple of hundred years roughly. Mm-hmm. Um because they did experiments and discovered that certain certain molecules of certain gases actually absorb heat and mm-hmm. and absorb that energy and hold it for a while. So different molecules do it, different gases do it to different amounts. Water vapor does it um that's why a part of why a cloudy night is warmer than a than a clear night you know mm-hmm. um in the winter but carbon dioxide does it very effectively and it stays carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere for a long long time so if um so if the amount of carbon dioxide is it sta- gets higher in the atmosphere it keeps warming for a long time but other gases you mentioned uh, HCFCs, cfc's the chemicals that are used in refrigerants those are very potent greenhouse gases there aren't as much many of them as there are Uh, you know we're not putting as much of that into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide which is why everybody talks about carbon dioxide methane is a very potent greenhouse gas but it doesn't stay in the atmosphere for very long so so there are there are all these different chemicals that contribute um and to keep things kind of simple scientists sort of boil it down to say what is the equivalent amount of carbon dioxide that all those gases represent so that we can think of one thing instead of trying to think of 50
0: things. (laughs) But you know Tom all this makes me wonder hasn't earth warmed and cooled naturally throughout the years so why is there global warming till this day?
1: Yeah that's a that's a great question so there are ice ages and warm periods right and Mm -hmm. and um, and if you look at the history of the climate going back maybe 600, I've looked at it going back 650,000 years. Then if you see it on a graph, you see that it, it the temperature rises and then it falls and it rises and falls. So when the temperature falls, the earth cools and we have a an ice age. And then as the earth warms again, it becomes very, very nice, you know, and the ice recedes. Um, the things that cause that, though, have to do with really long cycles, t- 20,000 years, fi- 100,000 years. It has to do with the way the Earth revolves around the sun. The tilt mm-hmm. of the Earth changes. Um, so, So those cycles are very long. We're not at the point where they would make a difference for us. Mm-hmm. The fact that we've warmed the planet so much in the last century is a sign that it's really coming from what people are doing.
0: Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure that there's somebody at home wondering, couldn't the sun also cause global warming itself?
1: Well, it could cause some. Um, There are are periods where the solar output is higher. Uh, That's the term scientists use, and periods where the solar output is lower. And when they looked at the historical record, um, the scientists concluded that in the early part of the 20th century, some of the warming was caused by higher output from the sun. The the sun has been in a more quiet phase for the last few decades. So Mm -hmm. the sun is not driving the change now. The the change now is because instead of – think think of these numbers. Before the Industrial Revolution, when people started burning a lot of fossil fuel, the amount of carbon dioxide in the the atmosphere was about 270 parts per million. Mm -hmm. Now it's over 400 parts per million. So just think of the size of that change. That's the 30 to between 30 and 40% change. If you change anything between a third, <laughs> more than mm-hmm. a third, you're going to see consequences. So, so that's really what the sciences, scientists are so concerned about.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier about volcanoes, and it just came to me. Mm-hmm. Do volcanoes emit more carbon dioxide than humans? Because I know that volcanoes just emit a whole lot of gases. So, compared to us, do they produce more carbon dioxide?
1: Um, they, well, I don't know if it's more or less. I don't think it's more. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's a, there's another piece of science that if you want to, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of science, it's really kind of cool. Um, Mm -hmm. the question is, how do we know it's our carbon dioxide? How do we know it's coming from what we burn, right? Mm -hmm. The coal and oil and gas we burn, and not coming from volcanoes and things like that? Well, there are different, there are different isotopes of carbon dioxide different mm-hmm. versions of it um of carbon because the carbon molecule will decay over time depending on the cir- the circumstances in and i'm not an expert in this but mm-hmm. um but the the carbon that's burned that's liberated when you burn coal or oil or gas is a different isotope of carbon than the carbon that comes out of volcanoes and so scientists have been measuring the amount of the different isotopes in the atmosphere, and they've concluded that it's, it's really clear evidence that, that it's coming from what we're doing and not coming from nature.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's great to know, because maybe somebody would have thought, uh, compared to volcanoes, maybe volcanoes actually emit a whole lot of carbon compared to us humans. And what role does the ocean play when it comes to global warming?
1: Well, the ocean has has in many ways been our savior. Uh, about half of the carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases that we have put into the atmosphere ends up in the ocean. So mm-hmm. it comes out of the atmosphere. But, you know, the oceans cover three-quarters or four-fifths of the planet. So they absorb a lot of carbon dioxide, and that has helped slow the rate of global warming. Um, the other thing that happens is the ocean's you know when you when you heat up water to make coffee or tea, mm-hmm. and it hasn't quite boiled, you wait. A lo- it seems like you wait forever for the mm-hmm. for it to finally get hot, right? And the reason for that is that water can can absorb a whole lot of heat before the temperature changes. Before the, they call that heat capacity, I'm not. Um, that's just the term the scientists use. So the oceans can absorb a huge amount of heat before the the water starts to warm. And think about it. The ocean is thousands of feet deep, Mm -hmm. and it covers three-quarters of the planet, and most of it is incredibly cold. At the bottom of the ocean, the temperature is basically freezing,
0: you Mm -hmm. know,
1: but it's it's moving, and so it doesn't form ice down there. Um, But it's very, very cold. And so it can absorb a huge amount of water, uh, uh, sorry, about a huge amount of heat before it warms. And so that has been kind of a of a break, acting like a break to slow down mm-hmm. global warming. But as the oceans warm, they also hold that heat for a long time. So, so it's a double-edged sword, right? It, mm-hmm. it helps for a while, and then it it becomes the new steady state. Is that when the oceans are warmer, we have a warmer world?
0: Mm-hmm. What about about us humans? Has there been a point in this lifetime where humans also exert a cooling effect on the Earth's climate?
1: Um, I don't think so um, because, because we've done a couple of things. We've done several things that, that make the climate warmer. The main one is all the all the energy that we use, all the fossil fuels we use for electricity and cars and, and all of that. But mm-hmm. the other two things we've done is we've cut down an awful lot of forests to create more agricultural land. And agricultural land doesn't absorb as much carbon dioxide, so it allows more to stay in the atmosphere uh, because trees absorb carbon dioxide when they grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that has been a cause. And another is that we've been creating cities, bigger and bigger cities at, with uh, pavement everywhere, you know, concrete and asphalt everywhere and cities, they call them heat islands. Cities are actually hotter than the surrounding countryside because all of that uh, concrete and asphalt absorbs heat during the day and it just gets, you've probably experienced it, you go out Mm. on a grassy field and it's cooler than if you stand in the middle of the road on a sunny day, Mm. right? Well, so cities are doing more of that and and that's actually increasing the temperature in their local areas as well.
0: Mm. And I understand that there is an organization, the NOAA, that keeps a record about everything, Can we, everybody in general, trust their global temperature data record when it comes to 50 years back and 50 years from now?
1: So NOAA, which in the United States, it's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in the United States. And Mm -hmm. it is a science agency that um, has a number of jobs. The, The Weather Service in the United States is part of NOAA, and we call it NOAA. Mm-hmm. for short um and the there's a there's a agency that monitors fish fisheries commercial fisheries and and other things so there they keep records that are really really accurate there's been a, a, <laughs> in Hawaii on the top of the volcano mm-hmm. far from factories and far from cities scientists have been m- measuring samples of the atmosphere to see how much carbon dioxide there is Every day since 1957. Just mm-hmm. think about that. That's a continuous measurement. It would be like weighing yourself every morning at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. for all, Since 1957, right? You would have a mm-hmm. very accurate record of, of your weight every day. Well, we have that for, for every day since 1957. And they plot that on a graph. It, it started by a guy named uh, Keeling. Charles David Keeling, and so it's called the Keeling Curve, and it shows temperatures just rising steadily, if you should look at the average, since 1957.
0: Mm-hmm. And despite of these records, isn't there a lot of debate and disagreements among climate scientists about global warming?
1: Well, how many climate scientists do you think have concluded that humans are causing global warming and, and that it's happening? If you had to guess, what what percentage of scientists would you guess?
0: Um, to me, probably a 50-50 situation.
1: Yeah, that's what we've been led to believe. The reality is, n- based on the evidence, multiple lines of evidence, about 97% of climate scientists have concluded that humans have caused global warming is happening. Mm-hmm. 97%, that's, all you know it's hard to get anywhere near that number usually in science because scientists are trained to find fault with every, each other's experiments. So um, the, we call that the scientific consensus, and the scientific consensus on global warming is extremely high. So you have to, then you have to wonder, well, well, why do you think it's only 50-50? And why do most mm-hmm. people think it's only 50-50? Well, the answers are twofold. One is that the news media, at least in places like the United States and Europe. I don't know what it's like where you are, but the mm-hmm. news media for years like to have people disagree on all of their mm-hmm. newscasts. So whenever they they would say scientists have concluded something, then they'd bring in someone who would disagree with it, because that's how mm-hmm. you get ratings. That's how you keep people watching the news. And it's it's really false. It, it makes the... the the percentage who don't agree seem much bigger than they really are. The -hmm. second is that there has been a really highly funded effort by the fossil fuel industry, the coal industry and oil and gas industry, Mm
0: -hmm. to
1: confuse people, to put out the message that the science isn't settled, that scientists disagree, That, um, that the consequences don't come from humans and that if we try to solve it, we'll destroy our economy and all these objections because they have a vested interest, obviously, in creating more, you know, selling more oil and coal and gas. So, so they've been really sneaky about it. They've been, been doing it, putting a lot of money into it for a long, long time. Um, and so that's, that's been encouraging this idea that the science is, that the scientists disagree when they actually don't disagree.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Tom, I'm led to wonder why should I trust scientists' climate projections for 50 or maybe 100 years from now when they can't accurately forecast weather for two weeks yeah. straight?
1: That so is why? S- such a good question. Mm-hmm. That is such a great question. Um, so thank you for asking it. The, the issue is that the science for predicting the weather is very different from the science for predicting the climate Mm -hmm. climate is think of climate as average weather. It's sort of, it's sort of like the, 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 the envelope that all of our weather occurs in, right? Mm -hmm. So where I live, I live in California. We have what's called a Mediterranean climate. And what that means is we get almost all of our rain in the wintertime in, in three or four months. We get almost no rain the rest of the year. We have a long, warm summers, somewhat hot summers. I mean, they get, they get pretty hot. We have mild winters. It's good mm-hmm. for growing crops, and it's predictable. Every year it's kind of the same, not identical, but we know that we're going to get most of the rain in the certain months, and it's going to be dry in the summer and all of that. That's the climate, and when scientists measure climate, they do it over long periods of time because they're looking for the averages in the weather. So when climate scientists make a statement, they, they look at at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they prefer to look at 25 years and even a century because the longer the period you can average, the more y- you, you filter out the little changes from year to year and you can sort of see the broad trends. The weather is really different. The weather is all about the local, conditions where you live. What are the mountains there like? What are the rivers like? What is the prevailing wind like? Uh, how does the, you know, if you live near the ocean, the ocean is sort of stable, but the land heats up during the day and cools off at night. If you have mountains, the wind tends to blow down through the canyons and valleys. So you have all these factors that affect the way the weather changes locally. And the, the models that they create to predict the weather are really accurate for a few days Mm -hmm. but but they get less and less accurate as you look farther out so maybe 10 days is pretty good doesn't mean it won't change but it's pretty good if you try to go out 30 days a month not so good right they're less confident well climate scientists are are when they project the future 50 to 100 years they're confident in but if you Mm -hmm. go out to 200 years or 300 years that's too far away to really predict accurately what will happen. Mm-hmm. So, so they're very careful about sort of telling you how much confidence do we have? What are the big doubts that we have? And, and how far can we look into the future and predict with pretty good confidence what's going to happen?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that answers a lot because from where I'm from, we actually have an equatorial type of climate where like a few months, are hot and dry then we have other months that are hot yet wet and then we have mm-hmm. now this final months that are cold and wet we don't have any type of snow here but when mm-hmm. it comes to rain it's like heavy and when it yes. comes to weather now it's unpredictable so when we hear a weather report like currently they told us that this whole february will have a heat wave But currently, it's been raining for the past three days. So we were like, okay, where's the heat wave? Why is it raining? Mm -hmm. And there are even thunderstorms. So it answers a lot, actually. And another thing I'd like you to explain to us is the sun's, quote-unquote, sunscreen, the ozone layer, which has saved us Mm. from the sun from as far as we can look back. Is that something we can be hopeful about, or should we worry about the chances that it will deplete at some point?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and and I, I'm glad you brought it up, because a lot of people think that the ozone hole and mm-hmm. climate change are the same thing, and they're really different things. Um, the ozone, you know, there's this layer of ozone around the Earth, mm-hmm. and it absorbs uh, cosmic rays. Yeah. And those cosmic rays and ultraviolet rays can give us sunburn and skin cancer. Can, they can kill plants. And so it's really important that the Earth has this layer of ozone high in the atmosphere, not down here where we're breathing, but yeah. way up high, that protects us. And it turns out that um, uh, that the, the CFCs and HCFCs, these chemicals that are used in refrigerators and air conditioners, <laughs> Um, that were popular, especially until, until maybe a decade ago, um, actually destroy ozone. And they were, they were leaking into the atmosphere and people didn't really know about it. And, uh, I think it was, I think it was NASA, but I'm not sure. It was scientists discovered that there's a, a vortex in the wind around the South Pole. And they were discovering that there was so much, uh, of these gases in the atmosphere around the South Pole hole that it was destroying the ozone over the over Antarctica, mm-hmm. and it was called the ozone hole. And, and there was a lot of fear that that would spread worldwide and that we would all suffer more skin cancer, plants would have a hard time growing, people would be sunburned, it would, we'd have to stay indoors. Um, it'd be a huge, huge catastrophe. And so there was an international agreement made called the Montreal Protocol. That where the all the nations of the world decided, okay, we're going to find substitute chemicals and we're not going to use these chemicals anymore, and it's been working really remarkably well—not perfectly, but really well—and over the last, I would say, uh, I've been aware of it for the last five or six years. It doesn't mean that it hasn't been going longer, but I've seen reports saying that the ozone hole is actually starting to shrink. So, um, so this is good news, and. If we go after some of the some of the greenhouse gases that are used in indu- in industry um, that are like HCFCs that are called super pollutants they're, they're very aggressive if we if we reduce those we can help stabilize the climate system very quickly also which is mm-hmm. really good really good
0: and does that mean that the ozone hole was causing the caps that were melting or was it global warming that was causing the
1: north pole to melt it's really global warming that's causing them to melt and Mm -hmm. it's one of those circumstances uh, the the poles are warming up faster than the than the equator Mm -hmm. so if you're noticing that the weather's changing where you live it's changing a whole lot more in greenland and iceland and and southern chile and argentina Mm -hmm. um uh and it's just the way that the way the atmosphere circulates that it that more of the change happens there first.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's dive into impact Tom. Does global okay. warming mean that it's warming everywhere in this planet, just basically every single part?
1: Uh, yes, but it's not warming at the same rate. Mm-hmm. So I just mentioned that the poles are warming more quickly than the equator uh, and the temperate zones. And it's so it's warming more faster over the land than over the ocean. And so there are um, there are differences. Right. And and climate scientists tend to look at things in large areas. They like to look at a continent or a portion of a, a region of a continent where where the climate is more consistently alike in those areas. And uh and so when they make these maps of the world to show global warming, you you might have seen some of them where where you see colors that are red and some parts are blue and some parts mm-hmm. are yellow and there's this kind of this gradient. And those are showing red means there's been a lot of change. Blue means it's actually cooled a little bit. And if you look at them year after year, you'll see that some places kind of stay the same. They're a little cooler one year and they're a little warmer the next. Other areas are just getting redder and redder and redder. But if you look at the whole trend of the whole planet over a long period of time, everything is moving from blue to yellow to orange to red.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, there nobody gets a free pass on global warming, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so sad, but I hope that it will change in the future. And what is an extreme event when it comes to global warming? Uh,
1: an extreme event is... Uh, and they call these climate disasters it's mm. it's it's when the something happens in the weather that is extreme and destructive, so big flood uh, a hurricane or typhoon um, a or cyclone uh, a drought that's really deep and long lasting, a heat mm. wave that's really intense and long lasting those are the main kinds of of events and catastrophes that that displace people destroy villages and homes and cities and uh, put people out of work destroy crops there has been evidence for example that the arab spring um uh, and the and the revolutions in egypt and syria and in the arab world were partly caused by um climate events by droughts Mm -hmm. that that caused crops to fail and when crops fail people are People need food, and so they start moving, right? You have to go, Mm -hmm. you have to leave if you can't live somewhere. Uh, And that has been causing the migrations from the Middle East into Europe, and it's caused Mm -hmm. all this social upheaval in economic upheaval. There's even been evidence that there's been a wave of migration from Central America to the United States, um and Pre- president trump was building his border wall and you know he said there was a wave of immigrants coming there was a wave of immigrants coming and they were coming mm. because the climate was changing in places like Honduras and and other places in central america where mm. people couldn't safely live anymore and and so people were leaving their farms and going to the cities the cities were becoming more uh, uh more dangerous and so people were fleeing and literally walking thousands of miles all through Mexico to get to the United States in search of a climate where they could live. So, mm-hmm. so we're already seeing the impacts of this happening all around us.
0: Mm-hmm. And you talked about earlier how the Earth has been warming and cooling through the decades. So why are scientists so concerned about today's global warming?
1: Uh, because today's global warming is off the charts. It's just way out of scale with anything that nature does by itself. And because, you know, the population of people has been growing dramatically, too. I was born in 1956, and I can remember m- my parents talking in the early 1960s when the population of the Earth reached 3 billion people for the very first time in all of human history. Three billion, And people were so concerned that the number of people was so hard. How are we going to feed everyone? And where will everyone live? And all of that. Well, the population of the Earth today is almost 8 billion people. Mm-hmm. And the UN predicts that a population will increase to 9 or 10 billion by the middle of this century and probably start to level off and maybe even decline after that. So... Mm-hmm just think about that that's everybody in the world wants to have a good lifestyle and and that means we want to use more energy and if we don't switch to renewable energy that means there'll be a lot more carbon put into the atmosphere and we will accelerate the pace of warming even more Mm
0: -hmm. i'd like us to talk about the temperature tom a global warming of 1.8 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit can seem so small, given that some locations in the planet have temperatures over 30 degrees Fahrenheit every single day. So why is this change in global temperature a big concern?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, scientists talk about warming. of We've warmed the climate system 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit, a little over 1 degree C. And, and scientists or the, the nations of the world have agreed that, we absolutely should not let it, the Earth warm but beyond 2 degrees C, um, and have, preferably hold it below 1.5 degrees of warming uh, centigrade. That's an average of the entire planet, mm-hmm. right? So, so you're taking the amount that's that the Arctic has warmed, which is mm-hmm. in some, some years it's 9 degrees, um, I think, so far, and places that have not warmed very much, and you're averaging all of that out. So, when you think about the whole world, that number that sounds so small in your neighborhood is mm-hmm. actually really, really big because the because the warming is so um, variable depending on where you are.
0: Mm-hmm. What about when it comes to us humans? How will global warming harm human health and well-being?
1: Ah. Uh-uh. Well, you know, it's already harming human health because the causes of global warming are the same things that create air pollution. Mm-hmm. And air pollution causes respiratory disease. It shortens people's lives. So so part of climate change impacts on our health are already present. And studies have found that when you reduce the the greenhouse gas pollution, mm-hmm. you're reducing air pollution and people's health improves right away. So So there's that. But also, I mentioned the refugees, the p- climate refugees. And there are, is it a million or two million uh, climate refugees, the UN says, already per year? And that number will increase. In other words, people who, who become so desperate where they live that they're willing to migrate to find a new place to live. And the new places to live might be struggling as well, or they might not be very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... As the sea level rises, for example, if you live, if you're a farmer on the coastal plain of Bangladesh, um, you're not going to be able to live there, right? It's already, they're already seeing more flooding from the ocean. And as the sea level rises, it will, it will extend inland a great distance. Where are mm-hmm. those people going to go? If, if there are places in Bangladesh they can go, that's helpful. If they have to cross international borders to go into other countries, then you get conflict and it's not just there it's happening it's happening at the southern border of the united states it's happening in europe with the influx of refugees from north africa and middle east so those kinds of things are happening and then uh the, others, the other the some of the other impacts are that food production becomes more difficult crops mm-hmm. fail when there are storms and droughts um uh when it gets as it gets hotter and hotter it's harder to be productive in your work, outdoor, especially outdoors, because mm-hmm. the heat just saps your strength. So there are, there are a number of economic and health consequences, and consequences in terms of civil society and, and conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that also reflects on how the global warming harms the community, the infrastructure, and the economy of a specific location, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you're in a city where, I mean, I've seen pictures of places where, um, the streets buckle because it gets so hot that the asphalt actually melts and buckles and cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a town called Shishmareth in, on the coast of Alaska, a fishing village, and they literally had to move the entire village because it was sliding into the sea mm-hmm. because of global warming. So the impacts are different depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could, you know, uh, if you live in Florida or if you, like mentioned, Bangladesh, um, mm-hmm. the, the drinking water is being inundated by salt water because you, you take the drinking water out of the aquifers, out of the ground mm-hmm. and the salt water is in, because of sea level rise is intruding into those aquifers and making them brackish. So, you know, there are, there are so many different consequences and people have settled and built cities where the climate is predictable and useful and good mm-hmm. and when the climate changes all of a sudden you have to wonder how many of us live in a place that's really not so hospitable anymore mm-hmm. that's the future if we don't stop it. If we stop it we'll be in good shape <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. How about nature Tom? How does global warming harm nature and agricultural resources?
1: Uh, yeah Um this is a really sad story and it's hard. So so when the climate warms in an ecosystem in a forest or on a mountainside or something mm-hmm. um, the plants and animals need to go somewhere else, right? They need to migrate. The problem is they can't always do that. Tree forests can't migrate quickly because trees grow so slowly, right? That yeah. that the the pace of global warming is faster Then the capacity of a forest of trees to grow and to move. So that Mm -hmm. makes forests susceptible to forest fire and, and drought and pests that, that, um, were never a problem before. And then what happens to the animals? Well, the animals depend on the forest, right? Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. so where do they go? There are, there are animals that are literally running out of places to go. In the, in the mountains in California, there's an animal called a pica. It's a rodent. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it gets hot, where do they go? They go uphill, they go up the slopes to where it 's cooler, mm-hmm. but then they get above the forest, they get above the vegetation, and then they get to the top of the mountains and there 's no place else to go so mm-hmm. So one of the things that 's happening now is uh, is a huge number of extinctions of species, and um they 're caused by global warming, but also because people are destroying natural habitats, uh, breaking them apart for mm-hmm. economic reasons, you know, for agriculture, for to build settlements, to build roads, for recreation. And the consequences are that a huge number of species are going extinct, more than, you know, like 10 times more than happens naturally. Mm-hmm. 10 times more species going extinct. So in this century, in the 21st century, there are predictions that that we will see what amounts to a mass extinction if we're not if we don't change course pretty quickly. And this mm-hmm. is one of the saddest, I think, one of the saddest things um, because most of us don't think about how interdependent people are with other species,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: Um, but we truly are, and and a lonely planet where there are so you know that birds disappear, mammals disappear, reptiles. Mm-hmm. Plants, insects disappear. It'll be a lonely. It'll be a lonely thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Very lonely, actually, because yes. there is, despite being a food chain, there is an interaction, interaction right. chain where we have pets, where the pets have like quote unquote friends, animal friends, and even in the animal kingdom, you find that there is an interrelationship between animals. So if they all disappear and it's just us humans. That
1: would be a very sad life. Yes, it would be. You know, when I think of uh, those science fiction movies where people go to Mars or they go somewhere, right, and they're only people, only people, yeah. except for their, the plants that they're trying to grow for food. And you think, that's so artificial. How could that really work? Because mm-hmm. we depend on natural ecosystems to clean the water, to stabilize the temperatures where we live, to provide oxygen for, for us to breathe, Um And a robust ecosystem with lots of diversity is much healthier and more stable and more reliable in the long run. So, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a really Mm -hmm. big deal.
0: Let's dive into actions. How can Mm -hmm. we slow down or possibly stop human-caused global warming?
1: So, yes, this is the, the key issue. And... Um, the answer is really pretty simple. It's the reason I wrote this book, What If Solving the Climate Crisis is Simple. Because, mm-hmm. I, your listeners might be familiar with this, this idea that it's so complicated that only experts can solve it. Um, yeah. and that's, that's certainly the way it, I always hear about it. That, that the climate system is very, very complex, and so only the elite scientists can understand what's going on. And the human systems that have to change, cities, infrastructure, housing, energy supply, um, uh, supply chains for products, agricultural practices, transportation locally and all around the world, those are comp- finance and development aid and international relations and governance. These are big, complicated things. And it mm-hmm. makes each of us feel very small, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? If you mm-hmm. think that you have to untangle all of those threads in this giant knot of called, you know, human civilization, you can't possibly do it yourself. None of us can. It's, and, and it creates a false illusion that we have to have a master plan that solves the whole thing all at once. And that's not really how people live and, and make changes. It's not how societies change. And so what we, we have to do in very simple terms is we have to stop burning fossil fuels and we have to stop burning them quickly, certainly well before the middle of this century. So in the next mm-hmm. 20 to 30 years, we have to stop burning fossil fuels. And we absolutely don't want to fail. So I, I wrote a slogan in the book that's that's something that's easy to remember, which is stop burning fossil fuels well before mid-century and absolutely, positively do not fail. And when mm-hmm. you think about it in those terms, it means that all of us, if we if we're... in in our workplace, in our community, in our household, we can think about how do I do the things I do, I want to do and need to do, Mm -hmm. but do them without burning so much fossil fuel. And it can be, sometimes it's small things, it's it's using more daylight instead of artificial Mm -hmm. light, Uh, Mm -hmm. it's uh, driving, if you have a car, driving it less, going on one trip that does all your errands instead of five trips. And it means uh, it means also the bigger shift in systems towards electric cars, towards public transportation, towards um, meeting. Here we are talking on opposite sides of the world, mm-hmm. doing an interview, right? Neither one of us had to travel anywhere. And mm-hmm. so it means using the technologies that allow us to pollute less as we do things. And, you know, I... This sounds so silly and small. I understand that it does. But Mm -hmm. I decided to try this in the business that I used to own. And I set really aggressive targets for reducing our fossil fuel consumption. We didn't change our business. We still Mm -hmm. designed and produced exhibitions for trade fairs and air shows and sporting events and museums. Um, But we looked for ways to reduce the amount of fossil fuels we used for people to commute, for us to drive to meetings, for us to, to, uh, uh, to use equipment in our office. And we very quickly reduced, I had, our, I had our emissions measured, we reduced our emissions by two-thirds in a little mm-hmm. over one year. And we didn't change our lifestyle, which means that we are wasting an enormous amount of energy and paying for it just by taking for granted the way we do things. So businesses, organizations, households can all can all accelerate this shift. And it also means that in our civic life, in our governance, we can push for policies to reduce global warming, to to shift to renewable energy, to preserve natural ecosystems and green lands, you know, um, so we don't pave everything. Um provide more shade in our cities so that the cities stay cooler, so we don't have to heat our buildings so much. There's a lot of, of, there's thousands of actions that organizations and governments can take, but they all boil down to doing the things we do, but without burning fossil fuels as we do them. Mm
0: -hmm. Speaking of organizations, Tom, what is NOAA's climate mission for the planet?
1: Well, so NOAA is a is a science agency mainly. So they do research and report. To, so, and there is a set part of NOAA that works on helping communities find ways to be to adapt to the changing climate and to reduce their mm-hmm. emissions. So that's kind of their role. They're an information agency primarily, um, and so the the efforts to create policies really happen outside of NOAA. They happen in Congress mm-hmm. and in the White House in the United States and in um, in groups outside of government that push community government and the federal government to to change policies
0: mm-hmm. And in case we can't stop but we can slow down at least the global warming, what actions mm-hmm. can we take to adapt to global warming itself?
1: Yeah, so these actions really make it it depends so much on the climate where you are Mm -hmm. so where you live and where i live heat is the bigger issue right we're not worried about being cold too much Mm -hmm. we're more Mm -hmm. worried about being too hot Mm -hmm. and so how do we how do we create how do we reduce the heat in our in our communities um i mentioned that cities tend to be islands of heat well you do it by having more green space less pavement Mm -hmm. You do it by putting up more shade structures and trees to create shade. You know, if you grow trees close to your house, your house will be cooler than if you, uh, than if you don't. Um, it sounds so simple, but it's really true. And then you can open windows and have natural ventilation keep you cooler rather than having to use artificial energy to try to keep yourself cool. So, mm-hmm. so those kinds of things matter. Using water more efficiently um changing our agricultural practices so we don't waste water and we don't use as much fertilizer and pesticide uh, because those are made from fossil fuels. Uh it means um working locally more and and traveling long distances less. Mm-hmm. Um so those kinds of things really, really make a difference. If the more we reduce air pollution, the healthier people become and the more productive they can be. And, uh, and there are mechanisms in the policy world, you know, they can, you can pass laws that, that regulate businesses and require people to change. But you can also give incentives to the marketplace that shift the market. So, um, you know, Elon Musk is a big hero in the United States for inventing the Tesla car. Mm-hmm. Beca- because what he did is he, he, He decided that an electric car could be sexy and fun and attractive. Mm -hmm. And it it needed to be in order to compete with a a gas-powered car. So that's what they did. And it's that kind of innovation in the marketplace that shifts people's expectations. You know, our assumptions are we need to live the way we're living now. But Mm -hmm. when somebody comes along and disrupts that with something we like better, we change very quickly. And that's um, that's where I find hope that we can that we can stop global warming, and we can also make our communities uh, cooler and friendlier, and uh, and our lifestyles more enjoyable.
0: Thank you so much for that insightful message, Tom. And we're very <laughs> thankful here at Care Life that you are our guest today. And to all those listening, his books are available on Amazon. For only five nine nine, and you can grab his newest book, Empowering Climate Action in the United States, co-authored with Deb Morrison. Isn't that right, Tom?
1: That's correct. Yes, and that's the that is something I'm very excited about because we were part of a project with 150 diverse people from. Education and science and social science and business and activism and indigenous communities and uh, climate justice activists. And we all got together as equals and and mapped out a strategy to get our the public in the United States to take action on climate change. So that's what that book is about. And uh, we hope that the Biden administration will adopt this and and we will rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement with something that we can be proud of.
0: That's amazing, and I hope they all heard that. Links to the Amazon website will be in the description, as well as links to his website. You can get there, contact him, ask him a few questions if you have them, or probably read his book and you'll get your answers there. And anybody who is on social media, my links will be also in the description. And remember, while you're posting about global warming or any other climate crisis, use hashtag reverse gentrification and hashtag care live life podcast so that we can actually find out what are your plans, plans for climate change. My name has been Phyllis McKenzie, and I was joined today by Tom Bowman, and I hope to see you next week for a brand new weekend special. Goodbye! And that will be it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting app, especially Apple Podcasts, and share it with all your friends. Thank you so much for listening and remember creativity is intelligence having fun. Until next time, hashtag PodRock.